Good morning, everyone. You're listening to Mornings with Pastor Adam on the West Coast Bible Teacher Podcast. Hope you all had a good Monday yesterday. And, uh, well, the week goes on. We all continue now going to work. We all continue doing our regular routine, getting up early. Some of us making breakfast for the little ones, then taking them and dropping them off at school on your way to work and all. Then picking them up later. (laughs) And, uh, you know, out here in California, things are different. We don't have school buses. We also have to pump our own gas, by the way. (laughs) Anyway, school's in session right now for a good while until spring break and then, of course, summertime. And uh, I've talked before on this morning show about the type of negative influences that many of our Christian youth are bombarded by in high school. And of course, it gets even worse when you go into college. But there are some really tragic things that can happen in middle school, the high school setting. And I was thinking about this. I remember when cyberbullying became a thing that was talked about a lot within our culture and on the news and so forth. Cyberbullying really gained prominence as something to be concerned about, I think, at the start of, uh, I'd say, the 2010s. There were a few notable cases that made uh, national headlines, cases of cyberbullying, some of which involved kids committing suicide. I was thinking about this, and I was like, well, cyberbullying was happening back when I was in school back in 2010 and all, and... It was bad back then, but that was even before we had all these other things, like TikTok and the expansion of social media to where we have it today and so forth. Back in 2010, we had Facebook. (laughs) And then Instagram did come onto the scene a little bit later, but Instagram, I would say, is probably more popular than ever now. And look at how YouTube has blown up. And everything, you know, back in 2010, YouTube wasn't, wasn't nearly uh, as cool as it is now. You know, you can watch TV on YouTube now. <laughs> Stream movies. And to be honest, the actual content on YouTube, YouTube original content, which, you know, content creators are putting out. It's actually more interesting and cool than in anything that they're offering on cable television. It's remarkable. I'd rather go on YouTube and uh, look at things in my spare time instead of turning on the TV and surfing the channels. But anyway, I was thinking about all this, and I'm sure that cyberbullying has only had to have gotten worse over the years. And so if you search cyberbullying on Google, you'll see that it is still very prevalent. There is still... News stories that are regularly coming up pertaining to cyberbullying cases. Now, I remember back when a very well-known case of cyberbullying came through the news. And that was the Amanda Todd case. And I remember when this happened because everybody was talking about it. And kids I knew in school were going online on Facebook and, you know, voicing their opinion on it and everything. And, uh... Amanda Todd was a 15-year-old girl who died by suicide after a few years of extreme cyberbullying, cyberstalking, 
and then actual physical bullying at her school. For a couple of years, she was cyberstalked by an adult man who at the very beginning had communicated with her via webcam. And after these webcam interactions between this teen girl and this adult man, he went ahead and he started posting inappropriate pictures of her across Facebook. And he posted pictures of her to where her classmates at school would have, uh, would have been able to have access to view them. And this resulted in her going through so much bullying and teasing and so forth to where she switched schools and this cycle would continue. This wicked person, this wicked man, he would continue finding her online. And he would post these pictures of her. Pics that he took back when they communicated over webcam a few years before. And then she would continue to be harassed and bullied. And teased by classmates at school. I think she ended up switching schools a couple of times if I'm recalling the story correctly. But what always disturbed me about that story, and I remember, uh, you know, this back when the story broke out in the early 2010s, it was how she was treated so badly by her fellow peers at school. Because it got to a point where one day she was confronted by a group of about 50 kids outside her school. They surrounded her and they beat her up and threw her into a ditch. Teachers ran over and stuff, but, you know, teachers really don't nowadays, you know. They don't really do a whole lot. You know, oh, wait, no, stop, you know. And so, yeah, she was thrown into this ditch. And I remember the story. Her father came and, of course, brought her home. And when she got home, again, according to the official story, she attempted suicide by drinking bleach, and she almost died. They took her to the hospital and all. And then after all this, she would get cyberbullied, and other young people would post about her and say things like, I wish she did die. People were actually saying stuff like, I hope she drinks a different type of bleach next time, because maybe she'll be more successful than at killing herself. That was the type of things that people were saying. This was the type of hatred that these teenagers were demonstrating towards this young girl. It makes me contemplate and ponder the theological topic of the age of accountability. Such as a complex topic. Are your teenagers saved? Christian parents, this one's for you. Are your teenagers saved? When I went to private Christian school, and I went to private Christian school from 7th grade to ninth grade, and then I uh, switched schools and went to a uh, public charter school for the remainder of my high school years, but at the Christian school I did go to, we had some really nasty kids. The bullying, the behavior, it was pretty bad. I went through some of it, but I wasn't nearly as bullied as some of the other kids. Some of these kids, man, they, they got it rough. They had it really rough. But the nasty kids, the bullies, 
A lot of these kids were youngins who did come from Christian households. Now, what was going on at home, I'm not sure. I think that some of these Christian parents, they think that sending them to Christian school is somehow going to fix their kid (laughs) and raise them upright, but in reality, it starts at the home. At least that's what I believe. But reflecting on the behaviors of many of these young people, kids who came from Christian homes, but at school they were incredibly vicious, almost at the level of what we're getting in the Amanda Todd story, really has me thinking about the age of accountability. Now again, this this is a complicated theological topic. When is someone accountable before God for their sinful state? Some have suggested that at 13 years old, kids become accountable to God for their behavior. And that was the age, by the way, in Judaism where a young man was considered to be an adult. But I don't know, you know, what about a 12-year-old who kills someone a day before they turn 13? You know, I, <laughs> I'm not so sure if, if we can actually put a set number on the age of accountability. When I was 12 years old, even when I was 11, I remember I knew what I was doing, at least most of the time. I knew right from wrong very well, even at that very young age. And I think a lot of other kids do as well. When I was 12, I remember there was this time I wasn't nice to this one kid. We were in line for something. And I said, hey, can I go ahead of you? He said to me, no. I was like, bro, that wasn't a question, you know. <laughs> oh, but, but you just asked me, you know, and I was like, no, nah, no. Nah. I was like, yeah, sh- shut up, you know, and I, I just pushed him behind me. I, <laughs> I still remember that. <laughs> When I was living in South Jersey. <laughs> but it's funny, I remember back to that moment, I, I, I did feel guilty. And I knew what I was doing. And I actually felt a conviction, it, it, you know. So no matter what your thoughts are on the age of accountability, this difficult topic, one thing we do know is that God knows our hearts and minds very well. And so God knows when each person is accountable to him, when they have reached that point where they are fully within their hearts and minds, without excuse before him for their actions, and ultimately for their response to the gospel. Now, as far as the case of an infant who passes away, or a toddler, right? This is something that people talk about when the discussion of the age of accountability comes up. (laughs) What about a a one-year-old or a two-year-old who passes away? Many will take the position that through God's grace, by the work of Christ, that little one will surely be in heaven. And they base it off of 2 Samuel chapter 12, when the child that David had with Bathsheba was dying as a result of God's judgment on David. We, of course, see that eventually, even after David's time of fasting and prayer, we read in verse 18 that on the seventh day, 
the baby died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the baby was dead. They said, look, we tried to talk to David while the baby was alive, but he refused to listen to us. If we tell him the baby is dead, he may do something awful. When David saw his servants whispering, he knew that the baby was dead. He asked them, is the baby dead? They answered, yes, he is dead. Then David got up from the floor, washed himself, put lotions on, changed his clothes. Then he went into the Lord's house to worship. After that, he went home and asked for something to eat. His servants gave him some food, and he ate. And David's servants said to him, Why are you doing this? When the baby was still alive, you fasted and you cried. Now that the baby is dead, you get up and you eat food. <laughs> but David said, While the baby was still alive, I fasted and cried, as I thought, who knows, maybe the Lord will feel sorry for me and let the baby live. But now that the baby is dead, why should I fast? I can't bring him back to life. Someday I will go to him, but he cannot come back to me. You see right there, David said regarding the infant that had just passed away. Someday I will go to him. Most likely, of course, referring to the fact that the infant was in heaven. And as a believer, one day, David would make it to heaven. And he would be reunited with his child. And so, because of that, when it comes to this topic of the age of accountability, there are many people who will assert, well, the infant of David and Bathsheba passed away. But David said, you know, I'm going to see him one day. So that tells us right there, right, that this is a scriptural uh, proof text that children, or at least, you know, infants, babies that die, will go to heaven. And I would say that I think, to an extent, that argument is strong based upon what we get here in 2 Samuel. But, Moving past, you know, just that of infants and babies, you know, looking at more, you know, okay, well, when is that actual age of accountability when a child gets a little bit older? I want to I wanna go ahead with that in mind and, and read uh, an excerpt from John MacArthur, and uh, he touches on this subject of the age of accountability. He writes, quote, I think the best way to answer that is to say this. There is no age of accountability identified in Scripture as such. There is nothing in the Bible that says, here is the age, and from here on you are responsible. I think the reason for that is because children mature at different paces. That would be true from culture to culture and from age to age in history. So the Lord in his wisdom didn't identify a specific moment. God knows when each soul is accountable. God knows when real rejection has taken place, when the love of sin exists in the heart, when enmity with God is conscious and willful. God alone knows when that occurs. MacArthur goes on, The Jews had identified about the age of twelve, and that was when Jesus was taken by his parents to Jerusalem for the Passover and the feast. And there he was in the temple questioning the doctors. 
You have a good illustration there, and Jesus was asking profound questions at that point. This then seems to be the age when those kids, uh, when those kinds of questions begin to be personal in the heart of a child. So I have always felt that somewhere around age 12, MacArthur says, the transition from childhood to adulthood takes place. It's probably not totally disassociated from puberty, where there is a consciousness of one's own impulses, feelings, drives, desires, and therefore sinful attitudes and passions. With this in mind, I believe that it is absolutely essential all along the way with children, that every time they desire to make a commitment to Jesus Christ at whatever age, you, as someone giving spiritual oversight to them, encourage them to do that. Because you don't know, we can't know, when their desire is indicative of genuine saving faith. When a young child says, I want to invite Christ into my life, then you need to encourage them to do that. Every one of those I see as a step towards God. At what point that becomes saving faith, only God knows for certain. So there you go. That is John MacArthur's take on the age of accountability. I don't necessarily agree with John MacArthur on every point theologically, but at least as far as this topic goes, I think that there he provides... um. A balanced uh, and fair assessment of it. And he points out pretty much what I think, which is that only God, the one who knows the thoughts and intents of the heart, will be the one who ultimately decides when a young person is truly accountable to him when it comes to responding, ultimately, to that of the gospel message. And it certainly seems that once a kid reaches his or her teen years, at least for most of them, it certainly seems that they're well aware of what they're doing. You know, what can I say? You know, it's... When you're a teenager, you know what's up. (laughs) You know what you're doing. And so it is concerning. When you see so many kids in our schools, both in our public schools and in our Christian schools as well, who are behaving wickedly, but especially in our Christian middle schools and high schools, I think this is so important to consider. The salvation of our young people is an important thing. Do you know if your teenage son or daughter is truly saved? Does their behavior exemplify that of a changed heart before Jesus Christ? Are they the problem kid that is constantly hurting and bullying other kids? Do they cyberbully? Does their behavior on a consistent basis demonstrate true sincerity unto God? This is where we get into 1 John. 1 John 4, 19-21, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. 
And then a chapter earlier, in chapter 3 of 1 John, he gets really frank. <laughs> John says in 1 John 3.10, This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Wow. Now that's really heavy when you think about it. Did you hear that? <laughs> now think about the type of hatred that kids demonstrate to other kids in the schools, even in Christian schools, even kids that come from Christian homes, the type of bullying and wicked behavior that they demonstrate towards others. If one of these young teens passes away, in a car accident or a drug overdose, what have you, where would they go? You know, Are they fully accountable to God by the time they are 14, 15 years old? By the time they're out there brutally bullying and harassing their peers at school, <laughs> in their neighborhood? Now again, I don't know the answer to that question. But we got to take this seriously. There are a lot of Christian parents who might assume that their teenager is saved because they grew up in the church and maybe prayed the sinner's prayer when they were four, you know. <laughs> but is there a real spiritual sincerity that you see in their behavior now? Now that they've gotten older and are past the age of 12, <laughs> the age that some... <laughs> considered to be the age of accountability. person says, well, if my kid died in a car crash or they got hit by a car when they're skateboarding home from school, of course they're going to be in heaven, you know. I mean, you know, God knows, you know, that they're, they're only a kid, you know. He, he's only 17, you know. <laughs> but you really don't know for sure. I don't know. You don't know. Only God knows a person's heart. But I'm drawing attention to this. Because we are dealing with eternity. And there are many teenagers' lives that are cut short. Your teenage daughter dies in a car crash with her friends when they were driving home from a house party. Because one of her friends, the one that happened to be driving, was drunk. You see, these things do happen. A lot. Many teen lives are cut short. It's an unfortunate thing. But we want to then ensure that our youths, that their hearts are in the right place. Youth ministry is essential, perhaps now more than ever especially seeing how Satan has such a grip upon our youths within the culture and entertainment and everything. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, we read, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And that's how I feel about our youths today. The type of behavior we see demonstrated by so many of these kids, the lack of compassion for each other, the hatred, the bullying, these are sheep without a shepherd. And the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I see the need for revival in our young generation. I see the need for more godly individuals, people who are well-versed in the Word, seminary-educated, and so forth, to go into youth ministry, to start Bible clubs and groups in the public schools, and to bring God's Word to the kids. There is a need, and I am praying earnestly that the Lord of the harvest indeed sends out men and women to bring as many youths into the kingdom of God. Our young people need Jesus. And boy, do we need to bring the gospel to our young people (laughs) now more than ever before. The God consciousness within our young generation It's quite low. Things are a lot different now than they once were. And so with that in mind, let this be an encouragement to you today. And so this has been Mornings with Pastor Adam, everyone. God bless you, and I'll talk to you all. Well, I guess I'll talk to all of you on uh, Thursday morning. (laughs) Wednesday morning, tomorrow morning, we'll have uh, the Jonah study up. Um, that I'm going to be teaching tonight at my church. And so God bless all of you, and uh, I'll see you all soon.